It's Tuesday, 2nd of December 2014. This is HPR episode 1652 entitled Geekspeak 20130601. It is hosted by various Creative Commons works and is about 64 minutes long. Feedback can be sent to or by leaving a comment on this episode. The summary is, showcasing the Central Coast Public Broadcasting Radio Show slash podcast, Geekspeak. This episode of HBR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Howdy folks, this is 5150 for Hacker Public Radio, and you're, you're about to hear me just say that again, but I forgot when I recorded the preamble for the podcast that I actually wanted to start with a public service announcement for ha- Hacker Public Radio, and that announcement is that if you're hearing this and there aren't a lot of new podcasts by different hosts been uh, dropped into the queue, then HPR is in an awful lot of trouble. And all you folks out there who keep saying to yourself, well, I'm going to do an HPR someday, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do it later, I got to tell you, later is now, because if later isn't now, there may not be any later. And I won't pretend that, even though I've dropped a few shows in lately, I didn't do anything the first eight months of this year. I'm under no illusions that I'm the guy keeping HPR going. That guy's name would be Kevin O'Brien. But, I got to tell you folks, I've been dropping some stuff in lately and I am just about out of ideas. The, the well, this show, you know, the one you're about to hear is not Roy's show I did. It's it's one I pulled in from the internet that I thought you ought to hear to introduce you to a new podcast. And the last couple ones I did were recorded back in May, and I, I just sort of edited them and slapped them on the tail and, and threw them up here for Hacker Public Radio. And the next idea I have is probably going to take me two or three weeks to finish, and if I'm going to have any responsibility involvement in the New Year's show, I may not have time to do that before the first of the year. So I, I just wanna I just wanna warn you folks. I hope you're as tired of hearing my voice as I am of talking. 
And I hope that motivates you to jump in and contribute a Hacker Public Radio episode of your own. Because if you don't, there's a very real possibility that you will not have a chance to do so later. So please, please hear me out and uh, look look in the uh, calendar. And if there aren't any more shows after this one, then jump in and do something if you want to keep hearing HPR. Thank you. Howdy, folks. This is 5150 for Hacker Public Radio. As part of HPR's continuing effort to showcase Creative Commons works, we are proud to present GeekSpeak. GeekSpeak is produced as a radio show for community-based station KUSP in Monterey, California, and rebroadcast as a podcast available from geekspeak.org. It is a generally lighthearted and humorous technology news show with topics including electronics, computing, robotics, and green tech. Often, guest speakers and authors from the technology world will come on for interviews. The shows are just about an hour long. These days, the regular hosts are Bonnie Jean Primch, Lyle Troxel, Miles Elim, and Ben Jaffe. And I've been listening since the days when it was Lyle and Al Luckow. You can often hear them speak of thanking the Puppet Master for letting them continue to use the name GeekSpeak. After broadcasting for several years, it was discovered that the term GeekSpeak had been registered as a service mark by David Lawrence for a podcast of his own. You might remember Lawrence as the actor who played the character on Heroes with the telekinetic ability to physically manipulate others against their will. I had originally planned to showcase another episode. Interestingly enough, it was one that did not feature any of the regular hosts, but I found the subject matter to be very compelling. It was from 2012, November the 24th, and titled Harry Fred, Digital Image Detective with Robert Poley of the 7th Avenue Project. And essentially Fred talked about the methods he used to determine whether a digital image had been altered or not. Ultimately, I discarded that idea because the reason there were the normal hosts weren't on were because none of them were available that, that week. And it really wasn't Mr. Pulley stepping in and hosting the show. It was a rebroadcast of his show, The Seventh uh, Avenue Project, which generally deals a lot with scientific topics. And I'm not sure the of the licensing that he does with his show. So... If you look in the show notes, there's links to the 7th Avenue Project. There's there's a link to the rebroadcast show that I would have used. And there's a link to the David Lawrence show, which I haven't had an opportunity to listen to, but I have an idea it is entertaining as well. So you can sort of think of this as a three-for-one deal if you go look at the show notes. 
And GeekSpeak also has a long-standing tradition of using Devos through being cool as intro music and sometimes outro music. So only those episodes that employ user-contributed music instead are actually released as Creative Commons. What you're about to hear from the 1st of June in 2013 is just such an episode. It is Saturday, June 1st, 2013. I'm broadcasting live from Santa Cruz on the central coast of California. This is KOSP Public Radio 889 and KOSP.org. It is time now for Geek Speak. Welcome to Geek Speak, bridging the gaps between geeks and the rest of humanity. I'm your host, Lyle Troxel. Please keep in mind the views expressed during Geek Speak are not necessarily those of KOSP. Today's theme song is by Michael Newman of Pet Star Music. In the second half of the show, we'll invite your participation. The phone number is 1 800 655 5877. I'm your host, Lyle Troxel. With me in the studio is Mr. Ben Jaffe, a web instructor and world traveler. Hey, Ben. Yo. Bonnie Jean Primps, broadcaster, large mediator and printmaker. And homebody. How's it going? <laughs> you have a and long an, title. And I another do. homebody who actually hasn't been here for a while, but is now looking for work and is on air doing so. Is that why you're here? <laughs> ben, <laughs> Miles, Elam, welcome to Geek Speak. Uh, good morning. Miles is a software engineer and political junkie and, of course, um, is on the air all the time, but we seem to toggle lately and haven't been on together, I think, this year. So thanks for being here when I'm not, and thanks for being here today. So we're going to start out the news segment with Mr. Ben Jaffe, the biggest news I've heard of this week, at least. Yeah, so uh, water once flowed on Mars. Now, I mean, that doesn't kind of, it kind of doesn't seem like news if you've been following space news. Because you guys, you guys, one time there was water. I, I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> guys, that's so cool. Uh, no, I mean, like, we've, we've had this headline over and over and over again, but that's the way science works is, you know, they're like, hey, you know what, this might have happened. And then, hey, you know what, we found evidence for this. Hey, we found stronger evidence for this. Well, we actually found very strong evidence for this, and this is what this story is about. Our uh, Mars rover, the Curiosity, uh, which landed last year, I think uh, it was. And um, it's been rolling around and looking at things and zapping rocks, actually. It even has a Twitter feed, uh, which we covered uh, a while back about it. Uh, the Mars rover and a rock were having a Twitter exchange right. on, on, on Twitter, and it got zapped. And, you know. Anyway, um, so... That's a rock, not a rock. A rock, Yes. Uh, <laughs> Why do I have images of Wally in my head of when he meets the uh, futuristic robot? Absolutely, <laughs> Wally. So, um, what's all this about pebbles? What we found, uh, what the Mars rover imaged, is that there are these pebbles, which we call clasts, and the way pebbles move downstream and the way they stack up on the bottom of a riverbed, that's basically the pattern we saw here. And so we can infer that these pebbles actually used to be flowing in water. 
And in addition to that, we were able to image them, and they look very smooth, very uh, very close to the kinds of pebbles that we see on the bottom of riverbeds here on Earth. And then um, just from these different pieces of evidence and some imagery that we, we made, we actually have been able to infer quite a bit. For example, we um, are able to estimate that the flow velocities, how fast the water was moving on Mars when it was, is about walking pace approximately. Um, it's kind of interesting to compare it to walking pace, though, because if you were on Mars, you wouldn't yeah, Not Mars be, walking pace. Yeah. Walking <laughs> pace. What's Mars walking pace? Probably pretty a bit, similar. A, a, probably a bit slower if you're in a spacesuit, right? Either that or you're in the process well, of dying. Well, it's lower so. gravity, so you might be actually faster. Why don't they just say three miles an hour? You're probably bouncing and more cautious, you know, if you look at the, the moon. Um, but anyway. <laughs> also, uh, the water level was probably around ankle deep to waist deep. Uh, How do they so know that? That's, I, you know, they, they, by looking at the patterns, at the patterns of these pebbles and comparing them to the dynamics of pebbles in situations that we already understand, like river deposits on Earth. Or what about high winds? So, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was also addressed in this, and they said that the pebbles are too big to have been blown by high winds, oh. so, or by winds at all. So, it's, it's a pretty interesting story. Cool. Also, um, I, I just want to say this name. Uh, the robot apparently has this thing called the ChemCam Remote Sensing Laser, and it was able to uh, fire it at different th- at things and look at the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounded just like that. The episode um, that we covered, the Twitter account with the rock and the robot, the Mars robot, was uh, December... Or sorry, um, August twenty fifth, two thousand twelve. I'm looking yeah. to it today. Show. Yeah, go 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 look at Great. that. It's pretty. It was it's a fun discussion. Funny. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for that. I think. Yeah, Ben. So let's do a Wi-Fi update now, Miles. Some German researchers have pushed wireless communication to forty gigabits per second. What am and I they, getting at home? And they did this test there? over one kilometer, which means that this could be an effective method to get that last mile, which is normally handled by. Uh, either a cable network, uh, DSL, although DSL can't handle anywhere near that, and uh, uh, fiber optic. Right. So Bonnie, <laughs> Bonnie's <laughs> question of what does she currently get at home? What do you got, cable or DSL? Uh, DSL. So you're, what's, what's DSL speed? Probably, kind of? probably like uh, three or six. Oh. So this is faster. That's three or faster. six megabits. Megabits, that's megabits. right. This is, this is 40 gigabits. Right, so that's uh, a magnitude... Um, Plus a little bit. That's yeah. crazy four, times four more. Four orders of magnitude. Yeah. That's like 10,000 times faster. <laughs> so, more than. So Wi-Fi-ing into people's individual homes rather than cabling? Is that I would imagine about? it's actually a, to be a central hub, and then you just have a very short plug to the last point in the station. Although... So the point would be they could go into a community of, let's say, 15 homes that are all really close to each other, and they could actually all share Wi-Fi with traditional Wi-Fi. And then you put a spot here that has a major, major, major connection to the telco that's downtown, right, a mile away, let's say. And, and we, so then that, that would supersede the cable company completely, right? Someone, uh, some local company like Cruzout could do uh-huh. this. Oh, that would be lovely. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of typical Wi-Fi, uh, if you had that central hub and then you hooked up what – one uh, chip manufacturer has made with the existing standard of 802.11ac uh, to a new spec that people have been finding gigabit per second speeds wirelessly. They've actually pushed it with that existing technology to 1.7 gigabits per second. Wait, the existing, like, don't change any of the hardware kind of thing? No, no, no. no. Well, no, you still need a new chip. Okay. Uh, but it's but it's, it's inside ex- the spec of the of that right range. It's just cool. using more channels. In this uh-huh. case, it's using four channels simultaneously. Cool. Mm-hmm. 
Wi-Fi getting a little bit better and uh, so maybe supporting your neighborhood. That'd be really awesome. Speaking of neighborhood, uh, what's going on in the neighborhoods lately? Funny. Oh, man, on the way here, I had the craziest Jones to go yard sailing. I don't need a thing. I Thank you for being here too. anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> but, yeah, yard sailing, you guys. It's yard sailing season, and I had the thought on the way in, you know, what about used tech? Like, you see stuff at garage sales, and I always wonder, like, um, should I pick that up? And so I wanted to get your opinion on that, Geeks. Used tech, Yeah. That's always a difficult one. I always want to buy power supplies, you know, wall warts, little tiny, because I like having whatever voltage I need when I hack a project. Uh-huh. Do you do a lot of hacking of electronics? Oh, honey, no. Okay, so you don't need those. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you do make art. I mean, you know, you can take a, a five-volt power supply and uh, hook up some LEDs to it and get, and you know. Pretty blinky lights. Yeah, yeah. So hacking, hacking stuff at that level, at hardware level, yeah, I, I think it's cool. But if you have like an old DSL modem at a yard sale, I think you pass. Yeah, Unless it's got a power supply and LEDs. <laughs> Which you can mine for your own purposes. But, I mean, the big trouble so what's, is, the, what's the risk with used tech at the It's just sale? that the, there's a reason why somebody got rid of it. I think that's the biggest, biggest reason. But also, you know, tech just it, it expires in three years. You know, I mean, yeah. most And if you can do something inventive with that tech, if you haven't already done something similar, chances are you just don't have the time to deal with it. It's, yeah. It's, it's sad to say, but it's cheaper to buy something new a lot of times than even at a garage sale. Yeah, it's really kind of crazy. I mean, like, and then it'd be faster. Take like, like um, home computer speakers, you know, the speakers you put next to your computer. Yeah, those things are pretty much like, they're bulletproof. I mean, you barely break them, right? If you can, and you can normally power them up and try them with your iPod when you're at the you know someone's yard sale. But when it comes down to it, I, I just seem to have a lot of them because I get them and then I don't use them. And then a newer sound system comes along from a friend and or I buy one because it has a certain feature. And then I've got, I've just uh, got collections re- of yeah, these things. Or the only reason that it's at the yard sale is because one of the speakers is kind of poppy. Uh, right. You won't necessarily right. know that until after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I think it, unless you're going to be doing some hacking and reusing of electronics, which I highly recommend. I mean, it's a great thing to do. Anything battery operated, like a kid's toy or something, you can rip that cover off and stick your fingers on it and play with it while it's playing. Mm. That's called circuit bending. And that's and a lot of fun. Yeah, you lick your fingers and play. But people still... <laughs> yeah. Please wash it first, too. Okay. Yeah, people should still try to get rid of their old tech. Uh, and great ways of doing that, aside from the tech recycling places that may pop up from time to time, is... Advertising it on Craigslist or putting it up on FreeCycle, yeah, yeah, uh, because then you'll have people stop by and they'll pick it. Like you can just leave it on the side of the road. You know, most of the time people come by and they're like, "Hey, yeah, that, I needed that for that project. That I need that specific item for that project." And casting a wider net than you right. would with a garage sale. Absolutely. Hmm. You know, also with it, when it comes to tech, if you're looking at really old tech, that's a lot more hackable. Than the newer old tech. Good right? point. So if you're if you're looking at stuff from the 80s or the 90s, uh, that's I mean the components. It's probably still working. The components are yeah. big enough Plus you as might well. Have hipster cred. Yeah. 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 The things are big enough, right? Like taking apart VCRs, that's really fun. Yeah. But if you're taking apart uh, one of the little teeny CD players, that's not as fun. You don't get as much out of it. If you take apart an and uh, like a solid state iPod, you can't really get anything out solid of that that you can. Movement play around with you right know? it's really an audio jack mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah you, you can just take the audio or jack battery. Off the iPad, yeah. or bad battery um or dead battery um uh, what about i mean hard drives there's one yeah actually, hard drives have magnets in them. Magnets hard drives are, are yeah i got i actually got a, a backup hard drive from a friend of mine who got picked it up at a yard sale no it was an estate sale uh-huh and I said, oh, I don't really have a hard drive. And he picked one up for me, and he called it unreliable. And yeah, I had good. it for years. It's mounted. Yeah. <laughs> Reliably mounted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yard sales, you can actually pretty much recover um, using uh, 
um, see Gibson Research's project product called Spinrite, which is like an $80 app, but it will pretty much recover a hard drive and make it work again. It's pretty awesome. To get the data off of it. Yeah, but no, actually, it actually repairs the drive, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Drives actually have self-repairing te- capabilities, and they'll actually remove sectors from availability if they're they like detect the, them. The board, so you can force them. In. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> the thing is, older tech, like you're not, you're not going to want a parallel IDE hard drive. So as long as you know what that looks like, comparatively, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, you I, just said some things. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. <laughs> I do have to say, regarding hard drives, they're one of the coolest things to take apart uh, because you can get two things out of it. One, you said magnets, right? So if you're doing any construction or if you're nailing things into the wall, you can actually use a magnet as a stud finder. Did you guys know this? So in, instead of using a stud finder to look for the pieces of wood that are behind the wall yeah. that you can nail into, instead of using and, and going and buying something like that or having to tap on the wall and listen for when the sound changes, the you can thing. just move the magnet up and down the wall until it kind of like feels like it sticks to something. Those are the nails inside of the studs. I taught Ben that. You did not Let's, teach uh, me. That is not true. You taught hey, me a lot of things. You take credit for all the things, Lyle. And we the, other thing, the other thing is the platter is an amazing mirror, except it has a hole in the middle. But yeah. it's an incredible mirror. Yeah, it's true. And there's glass ones and aluminum ones. So. Anyway, um, we, in a minute, we'll be getting in some geek news from Ben and actually some updates from the previous episodes of Geek Speak where people add some content. But first, I want to let you know that you listen to Geek Speak, and in, in the air with me is Miles Elam, Ben Jaffe, I'm Lyle Troxel, and we also have Bonnie Jean Primsch. Yeah, and this is just one of many shows you can hear at KOSP, including Weekend Edition Sunday, that's coming up uh, tomorrow morning from 6 until 9 on 88.9 KOSP and KOSP.org. KOSP is supported by Home and Small Business Tech, providing IT data protection, storage, and maintenance for business and home computers for over 10 years. More information information at hasbtech.com. And Kennelin with venues for business meetings and retreats and cabin cottages located in the Santa Cruz Mountains overlooking the bay. Kennelin accommodates parties from 30 to 300. More information at kennelin.com. Another local show that we have is the 7th Avenue Project, and the acclaimed writer Jim Holt has helped explain some of the deepest problems of physics, math, and philosophy in the New Yorker magazine and other publications. Now he tackles the biggest question of all in his latest book, Why Does the World Exist? An Existential Mystery. On this edition of the 7th Avenue Project, Jim Holt and host Robert Pauly discusses scientific, religious, and philosophical attempts to crack the mystery of existence. That's tomorrow at noon on KOSP or, of course, at KOSP.org. You can subscribe to the podcast as you can. GeekSpeak as well, but we have our own site with more content than you can possibly imagine at GeekSpeak.org. Miles Geekbit. Geekbit, of course, is something you've got to see to believe, so we suggest that you go to geekspeak.org to look this up. In the past, we've covered uh, stories where people have imaged a single atom, and we even had a story where they were imaging a subatomic particle. At this point, it's been jumped up a notch, and some researchers have uh, imaged the atomic bonds before and after a molecular reaction. What? No, they haven't. Yes, they have. That's awesome. With proof up online, and if you want to see it for yourself, go to geekspeak.org after the show. I want to read how they do that. I I mean, I can't even imagine. It'll probably go all over my head, but... (laughs) (laughs) Molecules will go on the head. It's probably happening all over your head right now. (laughs) You got a map of that? (laughs) Ben, what's your geek bit for today? I got a geek bit, yeah. So Ubuntu, we all know Ubuntu, the Linux distro, uh, or many of us do. At least. I don't. They so yeah, operating system like Windows or OS X, okay, um, but free. 
and open source. Oh. And they, so usually when you're developing software, you have a bug tracker. So when things go wrong with the software, you file a bug and then you go and fix it and then you resolve the bug, right? And that just keeps things organized. So do you guys know what Ubuntu's bug number one was? The very first bug that was ever filed on Ubuntu? I do, but I won't spoil it. Oh, no, I don't know. It's, it's recently been closed. It was just closed because of, quote, the changing realities of tablets, smartphones, and wearable computing. The first bug for Ubuntu was, quote, Microsoft has a majority market share. <laughs> that was the first bug? <laughs> That's that awesome. That was the first bug, and it has finally been closed. Ben, that was uh, a lovely little story. It, it was, was short and sweet. It was not the geek bit I was expecting. You have something about flight maps. Oh, because you, you don't need to look at the geek's this bug. <laughs> that was one of my stories. <laughs> that was one of your stories. The, how do I see the bug? Uh, okay, okay. I'll just tell you really quickly about the flight maps. Just these really beautiful maps of global flight paths. I'm looking at them now, and, and I can confirm that they are, in fact, They're beautiful. beautiful. And, Thank in you, fact, Bonnie. in addition to that, there's a whole article that uh, that covers it from different people's perspective. The perspective of the art, this, looking at this image from the perspective of the art critic, the environmentalist, the aviation what? consultant, the data visualization expert, and the philosopher. And so they have little blurbs about what they see in this image. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, we got some updates from last week. I was complaining and whining about how much I hate my carrier and that no one I know likes their cell phone carrier. So um, we got some feedback from that, which is awesome. Melody uh, suggested that we try Boost Mobile. Um, it's got unlimited for basic service, and they're really great, she says. And we also got some feedback from Darren, um, who suggested Ting, Ting.com. Now, Ting is something I've heard of before. It's a darling of the podcast advertisements. They're on all over the podcast, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay, that's how I heard of them, too. Oh, yeah. And so it feels a little strange that I'm not saying, go to geekspeak.ting.com. But unfortunately, I don't do that kind of thing. Um, we're just suggesting Ting because Darren called in saying that's pretty good. You pay for what you use. It uses the Sprint network. So that's kind of cool. Get some feedback from that. Another thing that we had last week is, Ben, you and I chatted about um, metrics and such. We did. And Joshua, the metric system. Joshua, who is actually a teacher um, and says, I get to work in great human psychological lab, my fourth grade classroom, seeking what will stick and what won't. So here's what he is using right now. He says millimeter or mm, you know, millimeter is the thickness of a dime. A centimeter is the dimension of one of your fingernails. Now, everybody's fingernails are different, so they all measure it to see how close it is. But then you can always remember that that's about a centimeter. And then they, uh, he suggests that a guitar, of course, is about the length of a meter. The long is, dimension of it? Yeah, a long yeah. dimension of a guitar is about a meter. That's cool. And um, he's paced out a, a classroom they know well from the location they're in to another classroom, which is a kilo- kilometer away, right? Because you can walk that. Mm. So anyway, Joshua is teaching fourth grade and suggesting basic measurement principles, which of course will help the understanding of the metric system, which is far superior to um, the British imperial system that we use in the United States, mostly. Which the British aren't using as much anymore, right. either. Oh, really? Hi, guys. <laughs> Superpower, what's I, up? I don't understand that. Yeah. <laughs> the British use miles, but then they use meters and, and things for things that are small. It's weird. Well, so Ben, since you did a little news story in the middle, I'm going to switch over to Miles yes, here. Miles, what's going on in the entertainment industry? What are they trying to do, get Congress to do? It's a funny thing. They've decided that it would be a good idea... If Congress made it legal for the entertainment industry to deploy rootkits. Great. Now, What's a rootkit? Several years ago, we covered a story about Sony and what they had done with their audio CDs. Some of them, if you put them into a computer, a uh, Windows computer specifically, it would automatically install a piece of software and it would disable the uh, um, 
the ability for the drive to be able to rip that audio. Uh, in other words, converted to MP3s. Okay. But did so in such a way that it was at such a low level in the operating system that antivirus couldn't detect it. And that's what a rootkit is. Uh, something that hooks up to what's known as the kernel of the operating system. Lower level than just about anything. And so from an app point of view, from an antivirus point of view, it's just seeing, you know, oh yeah, you're copying this file. Oh yeah. Okay, so basically it modifies the operating system to hide itself and it is being devious. So it's like, I'm not here. And you can't, and if, it's in, if, if this rootkit's installed in your computer, your computer basically lies to you and says everything's fine, even though things are definitely not fine. It's the worst of the kind of viruses that we right. uh, fear, and it's, basically. It's basically spying yeah. on, on a person because that rootkit can do a variety of things like call home, uh, disable certain functionality on your computer, things like that. It's it's basically pwning a machine. That's what we talk about when we, we talk about somebody else having control of your machine. heard yeah. that word yeah. in a long time. Uh-huh. And so, basically, so do you under, Bonnie? Yeah. You understand what a rootkit is now? It's a thing that lets you pwn. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like a, like a like a kitchen utility, right? It's like a it's like a spatula, but a little different. You pwn with it instead. Yeah, you know, it sounds like something you do in the kitchen <laughs> to like a squash or something. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> basically, it's software in your computer that hides the fact it's running and has complete control of your heart, your computer. So it can log everything you do. It can do whatever you do on your computer. It's really bad. It's called a rootkit and. It's the thing you want to protect yourself from. And every time we talk about vulnerabilities, uh-huh. what we're really talking about is some way people can get a rootkit on your computer. So we okay, try to so avoid it. So it makes it. sense that the entertainment industry wants to do that because they want to know when you're pirating their stuff so they can, they can come after you. And so, the, is that why? so are they suggesting that that's how we should fight copyright well, infringement the, or something? Yes. <laughs> yes. The, the idea yeah. is that installing these rootkits uh, in general should be considered a tort. It's taking advantage of someone else's property and, and taking it away from and using it for your own purposes. So that's why they're they're lobbying Congress about this is to make what is normally an illegal and unethical act legal. Yeah, not so good. Although still unethical. I would agree, Bonnie. You said that the EFF is on this. Yeah, I would say that um, we we talked about we had a show a couple weeks ago with the EFF was on Electronic Frontier Frontier Foundation. Foundation. Yeah, to basically protect privacy rights in the electronica sphere. So if you're concerned about these kinds of issues, I highly suggest listening to that uh, former show. All right, um, let's move on, I think, right? You got, you got that story? We're good? We want to fight yeah. Congress on doing that? What we'll do is we'll try to research to see if there's any way to um, have it's you voice bad. your s- concern and, and suggestion. Well, I was this. actually just thinking, think of the time we spent just explaining what the issue is. That's the problem, How do you right? get people fired up about the fact that there's this thing going on that you don't understand? It's, it's, well, sensationalist yeah. language helps. It does. Yes. Be concerned. It just needs to get on the local nightly news, and we're fine. They want to explode your computer. (laughs) More at 11. (laughs) Ben, let's do some space news now, sir. Oh, I've already done some, but I'll do... I've got one more that I'm pretty excited about. So I've talked about... You have two more, sir. uh, I've already covered one of them. You have the test observers, right? And uh, some asteroid update? Oh, uh, oh yeah, see, I I'm on it, man. That one. Yeah, you're, you know my stories better than I do. <laughs> yeah. okay, Let me go right. on. Let me pot you down there and we'll just cover these. <laughs> go ahead. So, yeah, uh, I've, I've talked about the Kepler Space Telescope quite a bit. In the past, you can go ahead and Google it or search around um, Geek, the GeekSpeak website for more information about it. But basically, it's a satellite which looks at stars and looks to see, looks over a long period of time to see if anything passes in front of the stars. Like, oh, I don't know, a planet, right? So some star that's far away, we can actually infer whether there's a planet passing in front of the star based on the way the light level dips and whether it does consistently and things like that. 
So uh, that the Kepler telescope is actually my favorite satellite um, of all time. I don't know why. Actually, the Hubble, but the Kepler is a close second. I think it's cute that you have a favorite. Yeah, well, why not? <laughs> uh, I've got a favorite moon, too, and you know, all those Aww. things. I don't know why. They just touch my heart. But uh, we actually have a new space telescope that we're going to be sending up. It's called TESS, T-E-S-S, which is um, the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite. <gasps> Ooh, Ooh, it's right in, your, right in your alley there, know, sir. It sounds, it sounds fun. So basically, it's going to do the same thing. It's going to look at different stars and try and figure out if things are passing in front of it and therefore infer whether we have uh, exoplanets around those stars. And the reason that this one is better, it's going to be launched in 2017. So it's a, it's a bit out there. Right. It's a $200 million project as well. You said last week you didn't cover stuff in the future. That's the stuff in the future. That's a good did, job, did Ben. Yeah, you looked up some stuff and you, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, last yeah. week you're, you're, complaining about yourself and i think you're awesome so oh, i was trying oh. not to listen but you're saying how this is stuff that's <laughs> all happened anyway. yeah well i was talking <laughs> so about like you predicted something i'm excited <laughs> oh, God. we think you're great ben well, no that the funding already happened ah, that's cool oh well, that's the big thing they, yeah. they decided to pay for it it's real. they decided that's to pay real. for it Absolutely. but yeah my problem is when i'm like hey there was a solar eclipse yesterday did anyone see <laughs> it like, you've just <laughs> summed up last week's show exactly yeah pretty much so anyway um the reason this one's better is that kepler looks at 0.28 percent of the sky that's like a quarter of a percent of uh-huh. the entire night right. sky. Really, it's a it's really focus. teeny amount. It's got right? Focus. Um, now it's a really, really teeny amount of space, but there are 145,000 main sequence stars that we're looking at. So there are That's a busy. lot of yeah, there are a lot of stars in the teeniest little portion of the night sky. It's it's pretty incredible, right? Very humbling when you think about it. But uh, the TESS project will be surveying the entire sky. So that's 400 mm-hmm. times more sky. Uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. NBD. And uh, yeah, and it's it's actually going to be trying to also focus on planets that are about the size of the Earth and trying to actually even get information about maybe their atmosphere or their habitability or whether or there may pebbles. be likely be uh, water on the planets and things like that. So, Like there is on Mars. Like there or was, was on, on Mars. Mars. Sorry. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Again, quick asteroid factoid. Oh, yeah, quick asteroid factoid. Uh, we found... By the way, that's I, a very clever, t- clever title. <laughs> asteroid factoid. Uh, there's, uh, so Phil Plate, the bad astronomer, who's actually the most amazing astronomer I know, um, he has a blog and he posted about this. I'll go ahead and post this up on the site. But basically we found asteroid number, uh, asteroid 285263 QE2. That's its name. Um, and it's going to be passing really close to Earth. We've actually, it, it turns out this asteroid has a teeny little moon. Oh, cool. It's an what? asteroid, but it has oh, a moon. Oh, it's got its own moon. Mm. That's so no cute. moon. I bet you love that. <laughs> that's no moon. Uh, so, I mean, the, the, and the asteroid is only 2.7 kilometers across. That's like a mile and a half across. And the moon is 600 meters across, just under a mile across. So, they're both really teeny, and they're actually orbiting each other as opposed what? to one orbiting the other. One well, thing, we, though. Technically, we, everything orbits each other. Yes, that's technically <laughs> and, true. But and technically, it's two kilometers for the large one and maybe two-thirds of a kilometer for the smaller one. Or right now? It's 2.7 kilometers and 600, 0.6 meters. Okay. Or 0.6 kilometers. Get it right, because the listeners are paying very close attention. <laughs> well, no, after we made this big diatribe about how the metric system is superior, <laughs> and then we start using miles again. It's well, just, I, I did. So I it's, it's, wait, it's, it's twice as far as the gym is from Joshua's classroom? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's like a bajillion dimes. Okay, <laughs> so it's like a lot of dimes stacked on top of each other. But here's here's the asteroid fact. This is, I mean, I read about space news all the time, but I I had no clue about this. Apparently, 
about 16% of the near-Earth uh, near asteroids that we've seen that are bigger than 200 meters across. So any of the sizable near-Earth asteroids, 16% of them have uh, moons, have uh, natural satellites. Right. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Really? I, I thought that it was, you know, like, oh, hunk of rock, hunk of rock, hunk well, of rock. It's, it's just, more like, it is, hunk of rock, hunks of rock. It's more like that. Yeah, it's, it's like, like gravel, right? It's like a, a daddy hunk of rock and a little baby hunk of rock, and right. they're just, you know, I mean, to be clear, when objects are have the same, um, similar velocities to each other, and they're close to each other, they start orbiting each other. That's just yeah, that's how true. it works. And or when, they two, collide. Or and they when collide. two rocks in space really love each other. <laughs> then they collide and make more rocks. I that's mean, cool. Yeah, thanks for the thanks for the people. asteroid factoid. That's cool. Sixteen percent of near asteroids are orbiting yeah. each other. That's kind of imagine cool. that. Also, most stars are binary star systems or trinary. Well, that had nothing related to that, but that's kind of cool too. Any more? I mean, just a moment. More factoids as well. Hey, Bonnie. Yeah. <laughs> yesterday or Thursday night, you Thursday went to night. something I didn't get to go to. Yeah, the I alternate love this geeks. Thing. I the think alternate we're reality them, right? geeks. It's, I call them that. They don't call themselves like that. They call themselves the uh, Union of Benevolent Electrical Workers, which and is they, awesome. they actually hosted Geek Speak uh, oh. way back in uh, February, which is why I call them the alternate reality geeks. Everybody, those was, guys are cool. Got, yeah. So I, I was hanging out with those guys. Um, Last night, because you know I travel in different geeky crowds. Without anyway, and uh, so we, one we of the, take no offense. Thank you. We appreciate. It. I, I, I speak for you know, yourself. I'm a switch. So um, uh, <laughs> they, uh, one of them was talking about the Mechanical Turk, and went, how was a what? Because my knowledge of the Mechanical Turk is like a fake automaton from the 18th century that played chess. It played chess. Yeah, it was this dude Kempelin, and he's like, I've made this thing, and it's sort of like the and era it, of of automatons, which were like uh, things that mechanical that did amazing life like right. And this was like a table that played chess with you. And yeah, you'd and it was play like it, a Turk. It was like kind of a Turk around. looking dude, and it's you know it was sort of like point ominously at the place where it wanted its chess piece to go, and it played against Napoleon Bonaparte. It played against Benjamin Franklin. And it beat it, everybody. It was a sensation. Yeah, yeah, it was the grumpy cat of its day. And it day. was it was quite an incredible machine. <laughs> In fact, the machine yeah. was actually called a human. Inside yeah. it, right? Yeah, inside was a dude who was like, apparently a really good chess player. Puppet master, basically, as well. Yeah, basically, yeah. So, uh, so this idea of a thing which appears to be, which acts like a machine but is uh, human-assisted is apparently the basis for Amazon Mechanical Turk. And I don't know how long this thing has been around. I don't actually know how long. I feel like we've covered it on Geekspeak before, so it, it's probably pretty old. But what does it do? Well, basically, you can uh, make requests and um, offer an amount of uh, money uh, for the request, and then people all over the globe who have signed up to be requesters or request receivers or whatever will um, bid or do the thing, or I don't really know. I've thought about using one of these types of services. There's quite a few of them out there um, to, you know, ask for somebody to, um, you know, take GeekSpeak and translate it to text, right? You got to listen to it and type it and, and, you know, offer. And the thing you can do is you can bid on, you can, you suggest, this is how much money I'm willing to pay and this is the service I need done. And then people say, I'll do that. And so there's like a whole bidding thing. And Mechanical Turk's website, which of course we'll link to from geekspeak.org, um, very clearly says, do you want to work or do you want to hire somebody to work? Right? Yeah, it's very yeah. clearly you can do either. It so says artificial, artificial intelligence. That's kind of artificial, motto. artificial intelligence. That's, good, That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was me. And the, you know, the alternate reality geeks, of course, were thinking of all kinds of ways to hack it and game it and make it do its bidding. <laughs> <laughs> You know? <laughs> Taking advantage of people. Yeah, and that's um, well, uh, using people to do sort of amazing things, or or like subcontract it out and filter everyone's happy yeah. by sort of monkey wrenching some. I don't know. I lost control of understanding the. This conversation. meeting was at a pub, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> um, yes. 
They well, meet at a place they call the Creepy Palace at the last Thursday of every month. All right, very cool. Um, but so, do, I mean, have you? You haven't used Mechanical Turk. You've thought about using Mechanical Turk. I haven't used it. I, I you know, I'm I'm poor. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't uh, spend a lot of money on Geekspeak. I, we spend a lot of time on Geekspeak, but right. I haven't decided. This, to, yeah, it's sense. not a fun. But also, thing. who needs to have text uh, translations of what we say? It's not like you know. yeah. People anyway, are, but yeah. um. The audio is here and it's beautiful. Up at right. geekspeak.org if you're curious. And well, you wouldn't just use them for like a, be my employee, but uh, like no. some people were using them to make art projects. And research and, like and, and research is also a big piece of this, right? Let's say mm-hmm. I, I've seen this being used quite a bit for things like an uh, investor wants to look at a firm and they mm-hmm. say, hey, this is the type of firm it is and I want to look for any of the companies that are like this. Go ahead and spend two days searching for this kind of information mm-hmm. and compile a dossier for me, you know, a Word document or something, a Google mm-hmm. Doc, mm-hmm. and I'll pay you this much money. So someone who likes to do research stuff would say, I'll do that one for, you know, 50 yeah. bucks or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a clever way of connecting people with their interests yeah, and needs. Yeah, so there's that kind of one-on-one kind of thing that can happen and what the alternate reality geeks were talking about was paying like low amounts for some super simple task and compiling all those super simple tasks to make some sort of big crowd created something or other. All right. Well, thank you very much, Bonnie, for that. I, I might bring the alternate reality geeks in to explain further. <laughs> okay. We're going to, in, in just a moment, we're going to talk about um, telecom searches, uh, bad security stuff and more security breach stuff um, with Miles and Ben. We'll continue the show. But right now, I need to t- tell you that you're listening to Geek Speak. I'm Lyle Troxel. In the room with me is Miles, Elam, Ben, Jaffe, and Bonnie Jean Primsch. This is a show that is followed by Car Talk from 11 till noon. Uh, Tom and Ray Maliazzi fix, uh, mix automotive first aid with roadside philosophy, relationship advice, and whatever else is on their minds, plus a lot of ho ho ho. Join Click and Clack for Car Talk today, immediately after Geek Speak from 11 until noon. And uh, Sunday from 9 to 10 on 88.9 KUSP and KUSP.org. KUSP is supported by Dr. Henry J. Ramirez, DDS, in Santa Cruz, specializing in handcrafted dentistry from start to finish using digital technology for less radiation and offering one-appointment crowns and veneers. Information is at RamirezDDS.com. Dot com. You're listening to 88.9 KUSP and KUSP.org. You can follow the station on Twitter or like us on Facebook. And the UPS store also sponsors this program. Locations in Monterey, Santa Cruz, and San Benito counties. The UPS store helping with customer notary needs at one of 19 locally owned locations. More at the theupsstore.com. Thank you, Bonnie. This is Geek Speak on KUSP 88.9 and KOSP.org. All the programs that KOSP does, or a lot of the programs KOSP does, are available for download. And of course, communication and such we welcome at KOSP.org. And if you're interested in this show specifically, you can go to geekspeak.org. We're archiving everything we talk about on the show and adding links and such, as we do every week here on KOSP. Miles, what's going on with uh, the telecom industry? You just mentioned the media industry doing something a little creepy. Uh, but now what's going on with telecom? Well, this one isn't so much creepy as in just very short-sighted. What has happened is there was a a company that had records, like most companies do, of various people, social security numbers, financial information, stuff like that. And some reporters were doing some Google searches, and these items, like, for example, an application that was completed, you know, something that should be confidential, was popping up in this Google search result. I'm like, huh, well, that's funny. And they look at the URL that was coming up and going, hmm, I wonder what else we can find, um, you know, through links on here. 
And so they used a, a common command line utility called wget. And uh, webget, basically, is what it refers it's to. It's basically a way to automatically uh, get a URL into a text editor, and you can use programming with well, it. Well, it's, it's speaking exactly the same language that a web browser does. It's communicating with the server exactly like a web browser does. The only thing is that it doesn't put forth the pretty pictures. It just saves the text without rendering it. Okay. And the company that um, had the website in question, that had that stuff... When the reporters made it, made that knowledge available to them and said, hey, you know, you have this stuff that's that's out there and it's visible from a Google search and what what you shouldn't be there. And got very upset about it and told them, you know, you're hacking us because you're using an automated tool like WGET. Wait, to scrape their website and repu- republish the, set, the website? Content? No, they weren't republishing it. They were they got the info and saw that it was there and they were notifying the company privately Hey, there's this stuff that's made available, and we're going to talk about it. And wait, wait, wait. So, if you want to be so, for so an some company basically, some group noticed that this telco was publishing secret information they should not be publishing on their website. They downloaded it, then they notified the company saying, "You know, you should probably change this." And the company said, oh, "You're hackers." Yes, and they were hacking with the term, the the completely confusing and and scary product Google. They're doing. They're searching. <laughs> well, when they that's when they noticed it, and then they used WGET to automate okay. the process yeah. to, to right. find it more easily. You know, so, it's, it's all about the companies not understanding what's actually happening. So, if if I was outside of some company's headquarters and I found all of these confidential documents and I gathered them up and brought them to them, it's like hey. send them to WikiLinks. They'll keep you anonymous. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> right. Because I mean, they don't, you don't want to get prosec- persecuted for that. Yeah, imagine Is this, like Good Samaritan gets. Gets. Yeah, totally. Yeah, imagine it was some private information and it was in someone's yard and the wind is blowing it around. And you're walking by and you notice this and like one of the sheets blows out of the yard and you kind of look at it and go, well, this is odd. This isn't normal. I wonder if those other sheets are. And then somebody else you, hey, what are you doing around my yard? With <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> Most people don't look inside my yard. To, to but see it's these. more like they sent them to a newspaper and they printed them. <laughs> And then you picked up the newspaper and went, oh, my goodness, look, secrets. Hey, you know, you shouldn't have done this. And the company's like, oh, we'll get you for that. <laughs> Reading our website. How dare you? Slap. Ben, do you have any other stories? I do. Uh, just really briefly, security updates. Uh, Drupal.org dot got compromised. Yes, so they did. million people, right? Yeah, a whole bunch of people. And uh, usernames, email addresses, country information, and hashed and salted passwords. So, Man, I mean, I have an account on Drupal. Are they notifying anybody? They no- they've notified everybody. Okay, well, yeah. I didn't get a notification from them. Now I'm really upset because I don't sure know. I did a, a search Drupal before, account? yeah, before the show, and I saw the story. I'm like, uh, I should probably find out if my account's been hacked. Yeah, and no dice? No, 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 no emails from them. Interesting. But well, then again, is, maybe is, somebody hacked my account first and changed the email. I don't maybe know. Maybe it's in your spam folder. Maybe it's in my spam folder. Uh, Drupal, of course, is a very popular content management system, blogging system, very much like WordPress. Um, some people would argue it's better, and some people would argue it's not. Um, yeah, but <laughs> it has its fans. Drupal's I, used quite I a bit. I, I implemented at the university when I was there. Um, we implemented a lot of sites using Drupal. Are you and a Drupal cur- fan? Well, a fan. I mean, do you do you, do you like it? <laughs> do you like it? I bet you do like I like it. Drupal? 
Yes, I find Dru- there's some really good benefits to Drupal. I have recommended it's, it's Drupal, like, and I will recommend Drupal in the future see, for I, certain things. I, I just it's like playing say, with mud, and you can make all sorts of wonderful shapes and sandcastles <laughs> and stuff like that. I, yeah, I don't want to eat Drupal. Like, I don't eat mud. I might play yeah. with it. I'm, I'm currently hosting a kind of big website using Drupal. Oh, okay. And so, now keep in mind that this vulnerability is not about the software itself that you would install and run Drupal. It has nothing to do, if you're like running yeah, Drupal yeah, someplace, that's important it has to nothing know. to do with you, unless you're using their service that they have for advertising delivery. There's other services that you connect to your account and then it's questionable whether there's some kind of vulnerability from a backdoor, you know, from a sideline uh, yeah. thing. Because when you make a Drupal account, you can actually hook it up to your Drupal.org account um, and that's what's been hacked is the Drupal.org yeah. accounts. As, as long as we're on Drupal, I feel like I, I, I just want to come clean about my ignorance so that way people can, uh, can learn from my own issue, which is that I, I was working on a project and everyone was using Drupal and I didn't put in enough time to understand Drupal and so I ended up really hating it and really hating my life. Whereas WordPress <laughs> is a little bit simpler. But at the same time, you can do a lot more with Drupal if you understand it, right? So that's that's the reason I hate Drupal. It's a really horrible reason to It'll hate, make you hate your life. software. That's a pretty bad reason. <laughs> yeah, bad. yeah. So don't be like me. Actually, you don't know, read up on the... You know, one of the things I like to talk about when we... <laughs> covering tech is Drupal is based on um, <laughs> PHP and you can run it off of MySQL or Postgres and probably some other um, traditional SQL web ser- uh, databases as well. But um, that's the technology behind it. And yeah. it's got a lot of extensions and a lot of modules and a lot of themes. So for, from that perspective, the community at large has so much support that it's extremely easy to produce quick, pretty good websites. So yeah, it's, it's used all the time. It's my, the, new co- the company I work for now, um, we, we use Drupal for our primary websites and yeah, yeah. Is is Drupal programming better? No, quicker, easier, more seductive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only updates I've got from Drupal is from the websites that I manage, saying please update your system. Oh, so, bummer. No spam. No nothing. Now, what's so much that got hacked? That was the issue, though. This is there was a there was a security issue, and data may have been removed from their server to someone that they don't. What's know. the issue for you, Miles? Well. It dovetails nicely with the news story that you have, Lyle, about passwords. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can talk about that. Okay, well, I'll go ahead and do my little story about cracking strong passwords. Recently, um, Hacker News covered this story, and actually I also listened on, saw it on uh, Security Now, the discussion about it. And basically, um, there was this project to find out how easy it was to hack relatively, to figure out, to crack really relatively complicated passwords. So they got a group of people together that are hackers and they do this for a living and they got just standard kind of machines. Um, some of them actually had some machines with multiple graphics cards in them as well to get the processing power. And basically um, using passwords that contained only numbers, 12 digits long, hackers managed to brute force, that means just randomly guess 312, uh, 312 passwords in three minutes. So and were they yikes. all password one two three four? Well, they were digits, just oh. in general digits. Oh. So basically, they made a large list of you know issues uh-huh. uh, of, of types of passwords. So basically, length doesn't necessarily. Well, okay, there's a few different parts of this story that are kind of interesting to me. One is that if you grab a database from a website, let's say somebody breaks into um, Drupal.org and takes a million usernames and passwords, the mm-hmm. passwords theoretically will be encrypted, um, be be hashed, is what we call it. And the question is, can you figure out the password? Because if you can, most likely some of those passwords are being used for the same people's email addresses somewhere else, like their bank accounts. So you get a lot of power out of that. So as you start cracking through by just guessing dictionary words, and then you take all the known English dictionary words and you try it, and you get some, and then you try it again. Daryl Bunsey still remembers the first time he went fishing. 
I hit I I, I was gesturing with Something my hand happened. and hit a button on the right hand side of my touch to touch <laughs> screen. So if you're if you're guessing these passwords, you use the dictionary. Then you use the dictionary with every possible combination of four digit um, numbers after that. So you're guessing a lot of passwords. And eventually, what you'll do is you'll actually discover more and more passwords. And with that, you'll get a, an index of workable passwords for that site. Then you can do analysis on the passwords for the patterns that seem to be um, probable for that website. Then you crack some more based off of that knowledge. And once you get that data set, you hone your algorithm again. So you're basically using the data set of the workable passwords for the website to infer more likely workable passwords. Because people that go to the same types of site think and enter passwords the same way, oddly enough. And we're talking about, you know, millions of uh, thousands of passwords as the baseline. So anyway, that's the story about hacking passwords. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I kind of came from this after listening to this is, well, first off, hopefully site administrators are not just using a simple um, program an MD5 without a salt. And I won't get into the details of that, but that's what we they were using. Yeah, yeah, and basically it's, it's a simpler type of, you can do other things to make it more secure. But um, the other thing to say is that we really need to be, ha- in a society that we are currently in, you as an individual need to have a password that is more complicated than you can know. Dang me- it. Yes. I so really a, like my password. A, yeah, and there's for everything. Oh, no, don't tell me that. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> oh. So for years, we've said back up your data. And the one thing that we've been very clear about is that you really need to set that up as an automatic process, that it just happens because you'll forget to back up your data. Who here has their current data backed up? Yeah, Miles has. Okay, Miles on top of, as of a month I'm ago. about two weeks late. Yeah, yeah you don't news. automate, you got a problem. Bad. So, like Bonnie just whistled. <laughs> I don't have data. Um, so, <laughs> so please back up your data, right? That's one thing we've been saying. But the next thing I'm saying is you've got to find a password manager. You can't really just have some trick that you do to make websites work. Like Ben had an algorithm for a while. The systems are smarter than us. The human brain just can't, can't do what the computers can do. And therefore, you having a secret has to be a really... Big secret, a secret so large and confusing that you can't understand it. But at the same time, you can't remember it. Rather. At the same time, if you're an outlier, then people aren't going to target you That's as much. Right. I mean, you know, the there people like for example, there aren't a lot of uh, viruses for the Mac because for a really long time there just weren't many Macs around. So mm-hmm. why and, would you? Why would you? And design principles, yeah. Well, design principles too, but largely just because there weren't many Macs around yeah. or weren't aren't many Linux uh, boxes around. So that's why most of the viruses. That's one of the big reasons why most of the viruses are for are for Windows. So if you're if you're building passwords that are really long but rememberable because of an algorithm or something like that, that's a much better thing to yes. do than what everyone else is doing. I agree. You Until being better everyone than else is doing you, it. you doing it better than the Johnsons means the Johnsons get hit first. But exactly. I have to just say that that the algorithms will get better mm-hmm. and your ability to memorize long random numbers will not or long random strings will not. Yeah, so at some point in our future you will have to have a password manager, like have to have something that helps you with these password problem. Yeah. Or we switch to another type of system, which we are basically right, doing as a society. And so what I suggest is, if you care about your privacy and security online, get a password manager now and start training yourself to use it all the time, like you should be doing for your backups. If you're not doing your backups, then switching to a password manager might be a problem because you might just lose all your passwords. Like if you're not using it regularly and managing it and maintaining it, mm-hmm. the software might get older. You might forget the root password, which would really be a problem because uh, you can't recover it. So, Miles, you going to say something more to this? Yes. This is talking about from the end user point of view what they can do. We also need to call out the system administrators that are setting up these sites. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because I'm sorry, you should know better. Yeah. Uh, 
MD5, just, I'm not going to talk about how that algorithm works. It's just that you can test all the different passwords that are like six letters long of an MD5 in a few minutes right. these days. If you're using MD5 to, even with assault, especially yeah. if the salt is known, you can do that. The whole, I mean, you got to make sure the passwords are longer than for you know, t- twelve characters. You've got to do that if you're using. Well, M- no, MD5. no, no. MD5 is basically useless now. Well, yeah, it was use- of word issue, yeah. You should not have been using MD5 okay, but ten years ago. Here's the problem: well, as, an end, out, as an end user, though, <laughs> you don't even know what they're doing on the back, and you have no idea. Mm-hmm. Like I was, suggest- I was bragging last week to, to Ben that I just use really long sentences because you know, a thirty a thirty word sentence right, is really hard. Right, And Ben goes, and Ben goes, yeah, but what if what if the administrator is just truncating the first fifteen characters? And that's all they're using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I was mean, like, oh, most meh, sites meh. will say <laughs> actually your your password needs to be more than six characters, and it can't be more than fifteen. Right. And it needs to include at least one uppercase and one character. And like those arbitrary restrictions basically just cut down on the potential number of passwords and make it easier for people to potentially guess yours if they're guessing. So Password Manager is an application that helps you with this. It basically makes this a safe vault where you put your passwords and you save them in there. And you can use your you can use OS ten. It's got a, a password management system built in. You key have chains. to keychains. You have to have the password for the keychain really really long, which means your login machine um, password potentially has to be really long. You can actually decouple those. I won't get into that. But I also suggest LastPass and One Password. I currently use One Password. These are systems that plug into your browser, and when you get prompted to a site that it has a memory of, it will actually autofill it for you. But you do have to unlock it all the time with a long password. So I use that when I make an account. I get like a twenty character random ASCII thing. I don't think I could type in with my iPhone. You know, like I couldn't do it because the characters are so long and complicated. So basically, it kind of restricts my access. It's less convenient, but at least I know people aren't doing anything yeah. bad with and, my accounts. And I do have to say, I've been talking about what you shouldn't use. Like you shouldn't use MB five. You shouldn't use SHA one. Uh, Sysadmins, bcrypt, scrypt. Okay, right. bcrypt and scrypt. Thank yes. you, Miles. Those are the ones you should be using. Miles, do you um you did have a security another security um uh, thing you want to mention? Uh, I did have some legislation that's coming up. Oh, okay, please. And that is coming in through Texas. Uh, we've talked about email privacy in the past about how there really isn't that much protection for it, and arguments put forth by various government agencies and the like, saying, "Hey, if it's been on there for more than fifteen days, we get to look at it without a warrant." That type of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in Texas. It's about to be signed by the uh, by the governor and was actually unanimous, uh, unanimously passed by the Texas legislature saying that uh, email does require uh, a warrant no matter how long it's been sitting on the server. Good. I'm glad to hear that. That's awesome. In Texas, huh? In Texas. So basically they've extended your personal privacy space to the web server that ho- or to the server that hosts your email. Yeah. Holds Regardless email. of whether it's been opened or if it's sat in the great. inbox. So another reason to use IMAP. Yeah, I, I have in to Texas. say, it's really nice to hear some positive security <laughs> news. I know. Especially you know, from this government. Because this is like the freak Bonnie out with security <laughs> news shows show. Are you feeling a little stressed? Then yeah, again, a little. <laughs> but only in Texas, not here in California. I wouldn't worry about it. I'm looking at your bank account online right now, Bonnie. And, uh, <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. No one's getting you. Oh, wait. <laughs> All right. Well, Hilarious. We're, we're <laughs> we are about to close the show. Got one more quickie, Ben. I know you uh, don't, oh, but yeah, yeah. I, okay. I, I do. It's 
really quick. Um, it's just so you, when you go to the airports, they have the um, metal detectors, and then they have the backscatter X-ray machines, which kind of look like metal detectors, but you stand and you put your arms up. Sure. And then they have the weird one that like goes around you. Yes. The round one. So uh, the backscatter ones, the second one I mentioned. Uh, were uh, giving the operators these semi-nudy kind of uh, images of you so that way they could see what kind of items you might have on you. And the TSA just announced that they have finally uh, they, they met their deadline for modifying the scanners so it shows an anonymized figure instead of an actual picture of you. Uh, so that's, that's good news. So um, the, the rolls of fat will be hidden? I mean, what, do you, what does that yeah, mean? Exactly. If there's, if there's, like, if, if what if I have an appendage a, that looks like a gun? Does that go away? I don't. Uh, you'll probably just get a pat down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's a weird appendage. Um, so, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's that's basically it. Um, I, I do have to say, it's kind of amazing how quickly they got these scanners out there. And how long it's taken them mm-hmm. to modify the scanners. Interesting. Like, I, I don't know. That should well, be reversed. They're removing the x-ray scanners, but the millimeter wave scanners are still in there use. There are. Yeah, the round, the round ones that go around you. Yeah, yeah those are still in use. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Bonnie? little close of information about uh, GeekSpeak? Yeah, well, listen, guys, if you're a small business owner who's been uh, priced out of TV and radio advertising, consider sponsorship on KUSP. It's an efficient way to get your message to consumers or to other businesses in a clutter-free environment if you call the show clutter-free. Uh, learn more at KUSP.org slash sponsorship. It's a fine thing to do. Uh, here's some examples. KUSP is supported by the Santa Cruz County Symphony with the Santa Cruz White Album Ensemble featuring Strawberry Fields Forever, a night of live Beatles music this evening at the Santa Cruz Civic Auditorium. Tickets and more information at Santa Cruz Symphony. Org, and Cruz Iowa Works, rentable workspaces located in the heart of downtown Santa Cruz, featuring private offices and an organic cafe. More information is at cruzio.com slash cruzioworks or 459-6301. Celebrating 40 years together. Am I taking some of your fun away? Celebrating 40 years together. This is 88.9 KUSP Santa Cruz, streaming and podcasting at KUSP.org. Thank you, Bonnie. Of course, you can find out everything we do up at geekspeak.org. And Geekspeak is a registered service mark of David Lawrence and is used with permission. The geeks today were Ben, Jaffe, Miles, Elam, Bonnie, Jean, Primsch, and myself, Lyle Troxel. Please feel free to follow us up on Twitter and Facebook and Google Plus and all that and learn more about the show that we talked about today at geekspeak.org. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. And do please stay tuned for Car Talk here on KOSP. Listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. 
If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.